We who are about to die salute you. Murray Turry Mondays, episode 11, looking at Strike Force Murray Turry, number 11, from uh, October uh, 1987 cover date. It's uh, Chris and Chris here once again to break down this, uh, uh, you know, unremarkable series from Marvel here that, that, uh, that nobody in the world likes. It's just this. Uh, <laughs> well, if you heard last week's episode, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't like that one, but uh, no, this is the underrated marvel uh comic property thing that uh that we love so much and uh we hope you're enjoying the ride thus far and uh how are you doing uh this week mr bailey well i enjoyed the intro which to me is christmas music now i know a lot of people may question my sanity when it comes to having our theme song which is the price by twisted sister that's the song you heard just (laughs) just before we started garbling um, now that is actually a Christmas song to me. And as I revealed last time on the show, <laughs> I actually got Twisted Sister's Stay Hungry for Christmas. So that will be eternally a Christmas song <laughs> for me. Okay. So this, this is, this is a December show. So I'm feeling the Christmas vibes, Chris, and no better Christmas song than By God Twisted Sister. So I, I'm ready to go with here. More Tory Mondays, episode 11. Beautiful, beautiful. Before we jump into the issue, we do have some feedback from uh, from our uh, loyal and uh, lovely listeners here. We're going to start with uh, a, p- a piece, a tweet, actually, from uh, Joe Cabrera. He says, uh, and this is referring to uh, your dislike. I guess dislike is probably the most uh, uh, kind way to put it uh, <laughs> for Mr. Walter Simonson's art. Uh, he sends us a tweet that reads, and here I was listening and thinking, yeah, well, if Hero didn't like Simonson's art for all those reasons he mentioned, then what about Kirby, Mr. Smarty Pants? And then he dropped the other shoe, which is uh, that uh, <laughs> Mr. Kirby's work was a little off to you as well. <laughs> now, of course, I've grown up, children. So, you know, I can appreciate <laughs> Walt Simonson's art and I do appreciate Jack Kirby. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. Uh, but I will say, back in the day as a kid, I was certainly an idiot, and I completely dis- disliked these men's work. The sketchy <laughs> lines of Walt Simonson in Thor just drove me crazy. Now, didn't he do Marvel Star Wars as well? I believe so. I think I he did, and so. I think yeah. and I think I actually gave him a pass for there those Marvels. Go. Yeah, see? And then when I go <laughs> back, here I am kicking myself in the pills, going, yeah, you did like Walt Simonson's art, you fool. <laughs> but but Kirby, and let me tell you something. Here's where my dispassion for Kirby came from. So it was the superpowers, you know, the toy line, the, my mm-hmm. favorite, one of my favorite toy lines as well, by the way. Uh, superpowers, they actually had DC released a miniseries. And good old Kirby helped with the covers and some interiors and yep. boy those covers were hella ugly i'm telling it you it was rough 
Yeah. It was some of the worst-looking versions of the DC Comics characters I have ever seen. Now, I understand that Kirby was, you know, on his way out at this point. You know, his health was declining. His eyesight was declining. But uh, this was some rough stuff. I'm not going to disparage the king, but, uh, whoo, woof. <laughs> not the best stuff right there. The uh, now we have a uh, we have a tweet from uh, Jody Yarden. And uh, this is another uh, call back to last week's show. He says, I'll never be able to think of Ditko again without thinking of armpits and onions. <laughs> we and, did pose uh, the question last week. Yes. Who, uh, who was, uh, who, which was the guy that we did the spotlight on? Was it The profile was on Tom DeFalco, whose <laughs> yeah. pet, he listed his pet peeve as uh, freelancers who didn't bathe regularly. And uh, we <laughs> pondered which freelancers he might be uh, just thinking about that that, that might smell uh, – I think we put it not so fresh. And, uh, <laughs> I wake and up in the, the morning and I, I just don't feel fresh. <laughs> you got to go to that special aisle in the store. But uh, <laughs> that's when I asked you who you thought it might be. And your first thoughts went to um, the, the shut in himself, Mr. Steve Ditko. I'm just I'm just thinking like I'm picturing like a very oniony smelling apartment. <laughs> With a with a with a ratty drawing board in the corner and like tons of comic book pages of static that he's working on. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. And some of his original art, like in bird cages, because then he like used them as cutting boards and put them in bird cages because he, he, he hated, hated them so much. Yeah, so I, oh, I'd imagine that man. that apartment might have uh, might have been a little ripe from time to time. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have another tweet from uh, our pal Green Lantern HG, and he says, "Great episode. I'm gonna be judging Chris." I'm even going to judge this necklace. And he was referring to that weirdo Barbie doll necklace that the Hordesman was wearing in issue 10. Um, and then he says, I don't care if you judge me, but I can go for spam and mustard pickles right about now. Oh, oh, oh. There he is. He's a Newfoundlander born and raised this Green Lantern <laughs> HG. I guarantee you. Listen, sir, if you come to the island one day, you, I will gladly serve you a nice helping of spam, corned beef hash and mustard pickles. And oh. maybe... Maybe if you're really, really good over Christmas, we might give you the hors d'oeuvre trays with Vienna sausage and onion pickles. Oh, wee wee. Now that that's something that might be in Steve Ditko's apartment, like just sitting there, letting it, letting it, letting it ferment in the air. Uh, now, our pal Jesse Starcher, he sent us a link for a music video of Power Man 5000's "The Son of X51." We were talking about the Machine Man and uh, how at one point they tried launching that as an X book called X-51, the Machine Man. And, uh, <laughs> I did, I, you know, Power Man 5000, I, I only heard like a couple of songs of this, uh, like that Worlds Collide one that came out yeah, by yeah, the turn of the century. It's, and it's, 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 like, not, it's, it's not my jam, but it's, it's OK. Because yeah. mm. I think. The lead singer, I think he's like related to Rob Zombie in some sort of way. I, I think it's been a long time. Listen, any anything that gives love to some comic books, I I, I can dig. So I'm willing Sorry. to listen to any more Power Man 5000, especially if they're listening and you want to do a Strike Force Moratory song. There you go. There's your challenge. If anyone's musically inclined, feel free <laughs> to uh, to send along a Strike Force Moratory song. We may even play it on the air if it's fit. Mm-hmm. And I think Harold and the Black Watch would be a really cool band. Name, right? <laughs> I think you just coined it, my brother, right there. 
Big Robert's Face Tattoo. That might be a good band. <laughs> but uh, that, that's burying the lead a little bit. Oh, uh, now our final piece of feedback comes from our pal Jeremy Daw, who sent us a, uh, a multi-part tweet. And he uh, says, another solid episode of Murray Terry Mondays. I have a few observations regarding issue 10. Now, the first one says, I haven't, I haven't read this book in years, and I have a foggy recollection of this particular issue. In your recap, it feels like it was an inventory issue, something done to give Brent Anderson some time off. And uh, bingo, it's bango, almost I feel, yeah, I, it's almost I feel like he's exactly right on that. It yeah. has to be. You don't go from Brent Anderson just knocking it out of the park. And it's a curious that it was uh, episode, what was it, episode 10? Yeah. Or issue 10, I should say. Yeah, Absolutely, so it looks it yeah. looks like he it looks like he did nine and said, guys, I need a freaking break here, okay? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, because uh, we got Will Spertasio, and uh, Jeremy continues with uh, point two. He says, I want to go out on a limb and say Will Spertasio is still transitioning from inks to pencils in 1987, so his look is still developing. And uh, yeah, he's he's absolutely right. Uh, Will Spertasio was discovered uh, more more so as an inker than a penciler, and. Uh, you know, eventually started parlaying into the pencils. I believe we read a little bit about that during that uh, that thing that wasn't exactly a letters page. I think it was like um, episode maybe five or six where they gave us like an introduction to the creative team. And uh, they mentioned Wills Potasio and uh, and our regular anchor as like anchors that were discovered and that they both hope to get into pencils one day. So I think uh, Jeremy's spot on there. Um, and he, he can he follows that up with I think by '88 he had a year long run on Punisher and yeah uh, Patasio did go to Punisher. You went and, from uh, Mike Mike Zek in I think '86 '87 doing that Punisher miniseries yeah. which was a freaking home run by the way, mm-hmm. and then you had Wills Patasio <laughs> and then we had a little bit later Klaus Jim, Jensen. Dude. Yeah, oh, and Jim Lee did a little run I believe. It's uh, uh, no, I don't mind Jim Lee, but I mean sure. when you got the, that that early Punisher series, man, that was some rough stuff. I'm expecting. Yes. I'm literally expecting. Uh, uh, Mike Zek, and boy, do I not sure. get that. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, uh, Jeremy goes on to describe uh, the Punisher artwork here. He says, his design for Frank goes from Klaus Janssen's hulking mass of sociopathy to a lean, almost dancer-like figure. And uh, he says, <laughs> uh, a, qu- a quibble about changing character designs, especially with Frank Castle. Over the years, his look is all over the place. And uh, yes, Frank Castle does change appearance quite often. He's similar, um, and, to, he's, similar, he's similar to Lois Lane back in the day who would just change mm-hmm. identities. One day he's a black woman, maybe a superhero, a werewolf. Yeah. Who, kn- who knows <laughs> Frank what Frank Stein, Castle yeah. Oh, man, brutal. <laughs> Frankencastle, yes. Yes, Frankencastle, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do remember the uh, the shift in, uh, even just in bulk. It was uh, it was pretty interesting to see that. And I, I was never really uh, a Punisher uh, reader, you know. I've read some of the... You know, some of the broader notes that we, you know, that we all just know of the Punisher if you're if you're Marvel adjacent in any sort of way. But uh, I, I never was a uh, a religious reader. And uh, that might have had something to do with the fact that he had something like 13 ongoing series and a magazine. Exactly. And it just he, like you look at that and you look at the X-Men and it's like, wow, they both have a lot of books. You know, which one has more this month? I'm, I'm going to uh, spoil the Punisher for all our readers now. OK, uh-oh. Mob Kills Family. Punisher kills mob, rinse and repeat. <laughs> That's about the size of it. <laughs> yeah, and and you throw you throw jigsaw in there for a couple issues just to mix it up, and we're good. 
Except for that weird uh, Marvel Knights run, the uh, the first Marvel Knights run where they where they actually killed the Punisher and turned him into like an avenging angel. <laughs> oh, that was brutal stuff. And he had like the like the weird the weird like hieroglyphs on his forehead. Ugh. Someone might hear you, bro. Don't mention it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're coming up on an anniversary of it that Marvel can cash in on and have 47 variant covers of Dead Punisher. But. Uh, <laughs> Um, Jeremy, back to his uh, his tweet here. He says it is annoying for the repetition, re- repetitive exposition dump on Moratori's premise, because we always say, you know, that the Moratori just can't help themselves when it comes to telling the world that they only have a year to live. Uh, oh, there's more reminds- of that to come in this episode. <laughs> there is, there is. He reminds us this is a Jim Shooter book, and uh, Jim Shooter was a, uh, you know. He was like the ferryman for these comics. He took care of them and he wanted everybody to be able to access them and understand them. So he says it was those recaps that were required because it had to be accessible to new readers. Because, you know, in Stan Lee's words, any issue can and should be, you know, able to be read as somebody's first. Uh, okay, another I can't point. Disagree with that. I can't disagree. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And, it's, uh, and this, this one is a classic example of point number three. We're going to see a lot of that as soon as the oh, yeah. uh, recap starts. Perfect. Certainly, certainly. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird looking at, like, the books now where it's, you know, you could buy, like, a part four of six and you're just lost. You know, you might get, like, that one page of text in the beginning that gives you, like, a real quick and dirty on what's going on. But uh, accessibility is uh, – is at a premium, I suppose. Um, another point from Jeremy. He says, I enjoyed Hero's take on Alpha Flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is your Garbage. take on Alpha Flight? <laughs> well, <here's, laughs> let me tell you something. Here in Canada, nobody gives a shit about Alpha Flight. Move on. That, that's a t-shirt right there. Roll, roll Todd. That's a t-shirt. Roll, roll, um, roll Todd. <laughs> Now he continues, yes, wasn't that book John Byrne's creation? Yes, it was. And uh, that run has a lot of vocal support. And yes, it does. Uh, What do you think about the Byrne portion of Alpha Flight? Were you a fan of that at all? Listen, every listen, every artist can have that that one piece of crap. (laughs) <laughs> no, actually, actually, you know what? Artistically, Alpha Flight was really, really good. Uh, you know, yeah, definitely, absolutely, no question with that. Is when you get into the Canadian stereotypes and just these lackluster heroes. I mean, uh, there's a lot of fanfare for Alpha Flight still to this day. Not sure. much of it is in Canada, of course, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> especially on the on the island of Newfoundland. But uh, I will say, uh, from a burn perspective, it is some of his better stuff uh, back in that time. Anyway, artistically. It's super, super well done. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for some great burn art, the first 10 to 12 issues of this are burn at, at his ultimate best. And he's got a little bit of creative freedom because he's just baking, basically making this up from the fly. So, yeah, it's, sure. uh, it's a good experimental title for burn fans for sure. Yeah. And that, that first 12 issues is like uh, one big arc, you know, with the because yep. uh, he gets that special death issue. And uh, I, I definitely recommend that uh, to folks who yeah, haven't no, checked absolutely. that out before. Um, he wraps up, uh, Jeremy wraps up his tweet with, uh, anyways, keep up the great work. It has to be time consuming to put an episode together. And I appreciate your efforts. That's a uh, very true today. Uh, <laughs> he ends with, uh, hoping to find Canadian Smarties this holiday season and wishing everyone a happy holiday. So and, uh, funny, funny. He said that. So I was yes. just at a dollar store just mm-hmm. seconds before this, uh, this podcast. And by God, do you know, Smarties were on for 82 cents, not a dollar. 82 cents and they had billions for the children and masses of newfoundland for christmas there you go 
<laughs> I think I paid three dollars for the Marvel tube. <laughs> <laughs> Serves you right for overcharging us Canadians for comic books. You can it's definitely true. pay three dollars for damn smart. <laughs> the exchange Enjoy. rate goes from goes from corn. It's the gold standard going north, but it's the smarty standard coming south. So it's, I, uh, I, I fear to to uh, to understand what the UK people are paying for smarties <laughs> over there. <laughs> Seventy-five thousand pounds. I don't know. Whatever a pound is, come on. <laughs> but that wraps up our uh, feedback, and we uh, definitely appreciate everyone writing in and taking part. Uh, it really means a lot to us. Uh, we're not uh, podcasting into the void, so it's nice to have folks uh, who are along for the ride and enjoying what we're doing. And uh, and definitely keep up uh, keep up the uh, the feedback. We we just love it. It makes our day. Chris, did you say into the void? I did. I did. It's hmm. very uh, interesting. I got a funny feeling we'll be hearing that term very shortly. Maybe. Maybe we will. Mm-hmm. I think so. Stay tuned, <laughs> folks. Yes. But now into the uh, into our update for our own certificate program recruits here. You want to kick that off? All right. It's time to put our recruits to the meat grinder. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start with good old Dreamscape. He awakens on an infirmary bed as he sees Med who's standing near as he awakens from his gaze. He looks to his right. He also sees Russian Red Watch member Splinter Red, and he's chatting it up with a lady nearby. And at the foot of his bed, he's jarred to awakeness because Viking, the fabled deceased leader of the second generation of moratory recruits, (laughs) Mr. Harold Everson, is very much alive but aged at the end of his bed. Now, good old Mm -hmm. Harold. He still has, you know, some hairstyle going on. So although it's a little bit he's a little bit futuristic. So he's got it shaved on one side, almost surgical in nature, but not unlike you would see in any future, you know, movie warrior that has ever been seen. Mm -hmm. Now, he still has his familiar hair strand, which dangles iconically in his face (laughs) as he begins speaking from his scruffly bearded face. He says to him, welcome to Firepoint. I see where you have survived the Horde invasion. Hard to believe they haven't figured out the location of the newest moratory headquarters before now. That thing could have been nuked a lot sooner. You may be asking why you're here. Gentlemen, my team and I have been on the edge of sight for way too long. It's time to move on to the uh, it's time to make our move on the horde. The new moratory facility is something they cannot destroy. And that's a new moratory facility that they, we've seen in the last episode that the Horde is currently invading. Mm-hmm. The base contains a research facility that holds the key to Hordean mutant immortality. Yes, Horde troopers have actually undergone the process to create an army of super Horde soldiers. Now, these are built by humans for the <laughs> for the idea that they're going to send the they're going to pit the horde a, a race of super horde troopers against the horde themselves so they're actually mm. not going to waste any more human lives they're actually going to build a team of super powered moratory horde and they don't care if they don't last two months <laughs> they're just going to send these buggers into battle so uh you know it's it's part of a uh, a resistance plan but they're fearing that uh you know the horde is going to get access to this uh these horde experiments so they need the recruit known as Dreamscape to open up a portal into the facility, which the other crew have just tried to escape, so we can go undetected and salvage these creatures before they do. And he looks at Splinter Red, and he actually goes, it's good to see you again. And he nods to Harold knowingly. Mm. Now, the, now that confuses the other, uh, the other recruits. And Med sort of looks at him. He goes, you know him? Now, Harold says he's one of us. The Red Watch are legends. So the Red Watch are a parallel universe version of the Black Watch. So Mm -hmm. 
I wonder what Harold may be. This version of Harold may as well be a similar version, but who knows? We will find out a little bit later. He says, you may have even shifted time displacing this man from the invasion, but trust me, we're going to need him. We have an invasion to stop. I'll call the rest of the team. Now, Harold motions to his Ritzcom, and uh, he says a few words. It's indecipherable. No one really knows what it is. But then a man and a woman emerge from both doors. Now, they're in classic Black Moratory war garb, similar to the old Black Watch. Harold looks up at the group. Gentlemen, I want you to meet Aaron and Patricia. They're going to be joining us on the little trip. Now, Med, who's very up on his uh, Strike Force Moratory lore, he recognizes them instantly as the original two Blackwatch members who were thought to be dead from the initial trial run of the Garden training facility. He sits there stunned, but he puts the stops on everything. He goes, wait a second, before we go anywhere, someone's got some explaining to do, and rightfully so. (laughs) We've got dead people coming back, left and right, parallel universe, Strike Force. Uh, teams, it's uh, there's a lot of explaining to do, and maybe next time we'll find out. But back at Moratory headquarters, good old Flash Forward and Force Field, they're fleeing the Horde invasion in an elevator, which we've seen last time, and they're headed downwards, and they finally stop at what seems like miles underground. When the doors slide open, the men cautiously peek outside. You know, They're in a receiving bay area. It seems unattended, lots of crates, supplies everywhere. And the men, you know, they sort of carefully make their way around the perimeter, not to be detected by cameras. And, you know, they're passing uh, a disposal unit. And, of course, then they hear the elevator that they just left in the background. And the doors open and the silence is broken as horde troopers pour out of the elevator. They followed this man down, down to the receiving dock. Now, the men who are next to a disposal unit opt to leap into the garbage compactor. And they're covered in garbage and they, uh, you know, they close the door and they hear the horde army run right by them. Forcefield notes that the coast is clear, and when he turns back to his counterpart, he sees Forcefield holding what looks like a a rack of test tubes. Some of them are broken. They're in the garbage, obviously. But three of them have maintained. He said, what are you doing? You know, Forcefield asks his flash forward. He said, it's not what we are doing. I think it's what we're about to do. And as he holds Hmm. up a vial of liquid, he said, what is that? We don't have time for this. You know, he says annoyingly, he said, with wide eyes, uh, with wide eyes and a tremble in his hand, the test tube, he barely utters, I think we have time uh, for the cure. Ooh. So in this test tube, he may have uncovered something that a lot of people have been searching for, and somehow it's found its way to the garbage compactor to be continued. Excellent stuff there. Mm-hmm. Now, keeping on the uh, subject of the cure... We're not going to be talking about a, a band from uh, somewhere across Please. the pond. <laughs> no, no, really? I, I don't have enough hairspray, so it's uh, <laughs> we can't do that today. But uh, we are talking about Strike Force Murray Terry, number 11, October 1987 cover date, which just so happens to be called The Cure. Oh, and, uh, how about that? I think that's great. Now, the, this is uh, written by our, our normal writer, Peter B. Gillis. Pencils by our normal penciler brent anderson inks by scott williams letters by phil felix colors by max shiel edits by carl potts chief jim shooter 75 cents usd 95 cents can and 40p uk this sucker went on sale june 23rd 1987 and you know we usually start these off with a solicit but couldn't find one for this issue so uh (laughs) we're gonna assume that uh 
you know, you know, Marvel doesn't like to promote this book so much back in the day. Maybe they didn't put a solicit out. For all we wasn't, know, wasn't this one of the first direct market ones? Is was this issue direct market or still newsstand? You know, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. But they they announced the uh, direct market uh, move last issue in the bullpen bulletin. So I don't know if it was this quick. But, uh, because because I feel that my collection from the newsstand stopped at issue ten. Really, I wonder. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that that's a very good possibility. We'll we'll do more research on that and we'll come back with a uh, yeah definitely with a, with an answer for you here. But uh, how you like this cover? Oh man, this cover is awesome. It's great. So, oh man, so the cover itself it, it plays off the famous you know Uncle Sam we want you poster you know except it features like a Hordian commander. It, it's like a little battle cry. It says Earth needs you. So it's got a picture of this hideous Horde commander. And two curious kids are looking at the poster. You know, it's a quite a powerful image. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, and it might for uh, might foretell uh, a little bit of uh, of some betrayal of what uh, a certain party will eventually go to. So the Earth needs you, but uh, maybe someone else needs the horde for certain things. So an interesting mm-hmm. twist here. Um, if you look at like the negative space on this poster here, there's a man hanging. There's like a, a lynched man in in the background. Yes. Here. So many like weird little um, just tidbits and details here. Uh, some some subtle like that. Some unsubtle like like a swastika pin in in the yep. Hordian commander's nose and uh, <laughs> what looks like barbed wire earrings and stuff. But uh, it, it's it's such a well designed cover here. And the two kids in front of it they they look like. Um, like consumers, they're Morituri fans. You know, one's wearing a Strike Force Morituri T-shirt. Um, it's on the back, which is weird. Yeah, enough. it's true. <laughs> but, and in like uh, this is this looks like it's like in a storefront. And in the yeah. window next to the poster, there's Strike Force Morituri action figures and play sets and uh, like signage show, showing that this stuff is on sale here. And it's just uh, a real nice. Uh, I don't want to say time capsule, but it's a real nice just capture of uh, what's going on in, you know, in the non-superpowered world on Earth 1287 or whatever it is here. It's just uh, this is the commercialism and the sensationalism of this movement. It's just on full display here. And I, I just think that's like super cool. I do too, and I'm a I'm a huge V fan, so I mean, you know, when it comes to alien invasions, I'm all about alien movies, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, Close Encounters didn't really do it for me because you know I, I wanted aliens fighting back and you know tearing their flesh off and eating rats, <laughs> you know that, that those are my kind of aliens. That's why the uh, <laughs> the horde fits so well. But if you see in the corner of this one when it says on sale here, down in the corner you're actually seeing Strike Force Moratory action figures. Mm-hmm. These would stuff. be. Listen, if anyone wants to send uh, Chris and Chris to CNC Moratory <laughs> Connection here, uh, <laughs> some uh, Strike Force Moratory figures for Christmas, by all means, make us some custom stuff or show us what you got, man. This, I would love to have a collection of those things just oh. for the desk here. Yeah, because uh, and it's it's cool you bring up V. I, it it's been forever since I've seen V, but like one of the one of the scenes that's like really burnt into my memory is is this like very I can remember it as being a very short scene. Of kids playing with like like V action figures. In, yes, it was absolutely. either in was it in the miniseries or the actual show? I, mm. I don't recall. I you know what? I honestly think that it appears in both. Okay. But I, okay. but I'm pretty I'm pretty certain that it, it is definitely the uh, the miniseries. 
Yeah, because it just looks so cool uh, that they have these action figures and like play sets and stuff, and it's stuff that's going on in the real world. Uh, I, that that just always captured my imagination as like a you know an eight year old idiot kid, and well, uh, seeing seeing this here just really brings me back to that. It it's funny you said that. V merchandise is extremely hard to come by. I'm telling you right now. So I know that there was initial. Uh, so there is uh, legit. There is legit uh, merchandise. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Really? Most of it, okay. most of it is most of it is foreign. Okay. But there, there, there was an actual prototype built of like a three and three quarter action figure line for V, wow. and they had all the main characters, Donovan, Julie, and Diane, and a couple command like um, uh, V sentries or whatever. They were mm-hmm. they were all there as well, visitor sentries. But uh, and they had a jeep, Mike's jeep, and they had a uh, one of the star shuttles. Those were all intended to be part of it. But what was actually released was a giant Barbie doll size V figure complete with cloth clothing and removable face masks. So you could actually peel the face away. Now, there was, yeah, there were a number of figures, even bootlegs that were released. I think it's Mexico and uh, in in some other foreign countries, but uh, Mm -hmm. stuff is few and far between. I had some of the novels. I went by a storefront and I'll kick myself in the ass again for never, ever buying it. But (laughs) I went to a place called Downtown Comics, and in the window front one time, they had the V uh, Barbie doll size figure, and I passed up on it. I didn't have the money at the time. I always wanted to go back, but I I, I don't want to disappoint myself by going back. I mean, it was 13 years ago I saw it. (laughs) What are the chances (laughs) the thing is still there? You know what? I'm actually going to go this week and just prove my theory wrong. I'm going to ask about that figure, see if it still exists. You're going to get like some 18 year old kid behind the counter being like, what? Oh yeah. But there's, there's all (laughs) kinds of, there's all kinds of different things. And if you head over to my Pinterest account, go to Charlton hero on Pinterest and Mm -hmm. I have a a full V section and you'll see a lot of the bootleg toys and different merchandise that you can see. It's uh, it's really interesting, Chris. And there's so much there that you wouldn't even believe how much is there. So Ah, of which that I've only seen very, very limited amounts of in my whole life. So real life. Yeah. Wow. So, there you go. Yeah. Do you want to start start us off on the uh, the synopsizing? Absolutely. So this Beautiful. issue begins with like a TV screen, and it's it's featuring a young children's TV show, and the host of the show was it's like a blue Muppet type character, and uh, the individual introduces viewers to the moratory recruits, and it's it's the thing we just talked about. It's what mm-hmm. Jim Shooter used to do. It's a unique way of you know giving you a little synopsis of our characters and our heroes. You know, uh, this is. Each issue is always someone's first issue, so it's a clever way of bringing new readers into the fold. And this book, you know, probably has shifted into the black market. Uh, black market, my God, <laughs> it's just well to call it the black market, the direct market. So, <laughs> chances are it may be actually one of the introductions, first introductions that direct readers had with this entire book, anyway. Sure. Because I mean, it's super underhyped, underpushed. But each each moratory member is carefully profiled, and it's it's done in a kiddish fashion. But it briefs kids, you know, on their origin and their code names, and it's pretty useful information, actually. So kind of cool. Kind of shocking that that all this information is public. You know, yes, I, that, they that give them the real name every time. But, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, we see the screen, it abruptly goes off, and we see that it's our moratory recruits that are watching the show about themselves. You know, they're always their biggest fan. It's like when I listen to my own podcast, you know, I really enjoy <laughs> the sound of my own voice for about 10 minutes, then I get sick of it. Uh, but uh, they're at moratory headquarters, and the team just seems to be maxing and relaxing. They're just hanging out, and Louie is uh, – one thing that I would like to point out, though, Everyone's relaxing on couches, but notably, we see Aileen and Louie 
resting comfortably together on the couch. And I mean, it's not just sitting together. I mean, Aileen has her boots off and she's sort of resting her feet on Radiant and it almost suggests a little romantic vibe. You know what I mean? It's sure hmm. seems that way. Doesn't Interesting. It? Yeah. Yeah, but the others, they're relaxing as well as uh, our buddy uh, Will DeGucci here. The douche! Kick, he's kicking back solo without his shirt on, but he is in charge <laughs> of the remote. Uh, Scaredy Cat and Toxin, they're talking amongst themselves, discussing their recent adventure and the fact that uh, they've got the horde on the run. Uh, they either leave before the Murray arrive or they flee quickly thereafter. Now, they're suggesting that maybe their enemy are softening in this war, and the idea that uh, that changes abruptly at the end of uh, this issue. Oh, oh uh, <laughs> now, of the this Muppet talking about the, uh, the Moritori members here, one is left out. One doesn't get a mention. So we have all these origin stories and the real names and the power sets. They're, they're being listed off, rattled off by this Muppet, but they never mention Radiant. They never mention Lewis, and uh, he's like he he hopes you know oh, I hope this uh, this isn't a sign of things to come. But uh, he uh, he does uh, abruptly excuse himself and he gets up off the couch, leaving Aileen to wonder aloud where he's going. And uh, this wasn't last issue, but two issues ago we found out that Lewis was in talks with the horde they sent him a a video they dropped a little video in his in his ridiculously oversized collar (laughs) his lampshade his lampshade and when he plugged it into a a vidcon whatever the hell um he found out that uh the horde might just have a cure for the you know the fatal part of the military process and Mm. this uh might just be something that radian can't pass up Ooh. Well, now do you say that? Meanwhile, at Moratory Labs, Moratory Process Creators, Mr. Dr. Tulima, which is uh, still one of the most stupid names I've ever heard. But but anyway, (laughs) he makes a stirring discovery. So he takes his findings. He's looking at a video screen and he's he's looking at someone's X-ray. Now, that someone, he runs into their... um, the medical wing of the compound, and he has papers in hand where he meets Moratory Commander Beth Neon. Now, she's resting in her uh, her hospital bed uh, after her mysterious collapse in issue nine. But the jig is up. Beth Neon's secret is about to be uncovered by Dr. Tolima. She has injected herself with the Moratory process 11 months ago. 11 months ago. Now... <laughs> Now, if you're following this show, Chris, pop quiz, moratory quiz, folks, mm-hmm. quiz time. How long does a moratory recruit have before they die, Chris? <sighs> Let's see. Is it nine they, months? No, they, they, uh, I know this think, one. I know think this long one. and hard, bro. I know this one. Um, they know that they will burn out within one calendar year. Oh, man. So 12 I, months. You've been studying. I have been. Wow. I did have a 12 written on my palm. I, I don't know why I had it there, but it did come in handy this time. Around. He's cheating, folks. <laughs> so she is almost dead. Yes. She's on, the, almost she's, up. she's on the 11th month. It's brutal. So literally, Talim is beso- beside himself, and he asks her why she would do such a stupid thing and put her own life on the line for like a quick demise just to be part of the process, which absolutely ensures that you die in one year. So in case it wasn't clear to anyone, it's one year, okay? <laughs> now, Beth Neon reveals that her an original Black Watch member, you can't go an issue without the Black Watch. 
Nope. So Black Mach member Clint Rogers and Beth Neon, they had a relationship. And as part of our loyalty, now this is someone who's loyal to their man, brother. This is standing mm-hmm. by your man. Absolutely. She took the process just to be loyal with him. Yep. And and now she's dying. So good <laughs> job. Now, poor old Clint Rogers, we know what happened to the Black Watch. They're in all <laughs> sorts of crap. But she is dying, and she reveals that uh, what type of power does this woman have? She oh, It goes, boy. man, they give these people such weird power. So Beth Neon is able to grow flowers. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Amazing. <laughs> now, Tulima, he berates her for, you know, doing so and giving her rank. I mean, she's the commander. She has an obligation to the, you know, the moratory process. Now, of course, he softens up and he's overwhelmed by grief. And he reveals that, you know, if she's not there, he's got to do this whole fiasco alone. He needs her. So, yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, after our little soap opera moment, high above the Earth's atmosphere, something else is going on aboard a Hordian star cruiser. We see a Horde Inquirer and a trusted companion. They're discussing their current ruse of baiting a moratory recruit with the promise of a cure, which is Mr. Lampshade himself, Mr. Radiant, <laughs> uh, for their expedited inevitable death. And as a result, uh, they will gain incredible powers. So this is, uh, you know, they're looking for... Um, to intervene in the in the moratory's lives and get some information just by offering this cure. So looks like Louis is taking the bait. Now the Inquirer welcomes their new lord, Hammersmith. The mm-hmm. name just keep a rolling with the Rob Liefeld name generator. <laughs> and, they, and, and they discuss that having a man on the inside will finally expose the moratory. Now Hammersmith is quite impatient. He says there's no he needs no help in this hunt. He's, he wants to do this himself. And as as the Lord departs, the Inquirer grins to himself. Now, it seems like there's a little bit of dissension in the ranks it here. Does. yeah. And he's sort of grinning to himself that he's lollied around, you know, other situations. And he feels that, you know, old Hammersmith hasn't quite been really paying attention to what is really going on here. So, you know, you see that there's uh, something is rotten in uh, in Denmark here. It's true. Now, back at the Hidden Muratory Mountain headquarters, we have Pilar, Aileen, and Dagushi. They chat amongst the team. Uh, Pilar is upset that the team is on lockdown and kept in isolation as a result of their last escapades that uh, broke Jaylene out of her relative isolation while she's busy analyzing that Hordian tech from, uh, from what was that, issue six or seven, um, to, you know, to go on a Horde hunt. Now, they lament that the institution has given up on finding a cure. They found that out. Two up two issues ago that uh, Dr. Tulima was working on a cure, but he was advised from on high to put that aside, that his top priority now is to make more like Jaylene, make more <laughs> analyzers, basically make more adepts. I, and, I think uh, that they're they're just, they're almost playing a rib on us. They know that we're rereading this and they're like, <laughs> these these guys hated adepts. So we're just going to make an entire army of these people. adepts. Yes. So, uh. So the, the you know the team knows that they're no longer a priority. They're just you know spokes on the wheel now, and uh, they're not too pleased about that. Now uh, Lewis joins them to twist the knife a little further by uh, noting that Moritori Brass doesn't see the recruits as just another combat unit, and they they just don't care. You know there'll always be people to replace them, and hopefully better people. Now Aileen challenges him on this idea, mentioning that you know a possible cure may not help them today. Or maybe of benefit for you know future generations of Murray Turi. So uh, they're you know they're the sacrificial lambs here. They're the guinea pigs. Yep. 
And uh, she laments to herself that, uh, you know, if she had all the power in the world, she'd like to spend the rest of her life with her love, Guy Harding, who, uh, you know, plays Lewis on the television show. Uh, that's uh, Hollywood's uh, own version of uh, uh, Burt Reynolds, but also of Louis. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Which is strange. So that's why I think you had that little romantic hint there, you know, where they're cuddled up on the couch and you will see them a little bit. Transference. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think she's uh, sort of displacing Mr. Uh, Louis Arminati with uh, her love for Mr. Guy Harding. So I think that uh, good old Louis is taking advantage here. Absolutely. She did get her breast on after all. She did. She did get a little (laughs) more perky after the deal there. Uh, now, Will Degushi uh, eases Pilar's mind by, by agreeing with Eileen's notion that the Murray system does care about them. Now, Radian, he frustratedly walks off, irritated by the facts that the recruits are like, they're just totally brushing off the fact that Tulima and the mystery Moratory officials have decided to halt that search to create all those adepts. He's, you know, he realizes that they're not the priority anymore, but, you know, Will is uh, steadfast that they are important and... I think it's one of those things where you're trying to convince yourself, uh, yes. and Louis can see through it because Louis is our—he's our one to tr- one to grow on guy. <laughs> he's, uh, he's the life lesson fellow here, but uh, he feels like he's wasting his life, which uh, he's not completely wrong. And uh, he wishes that Harold, our old friend Viking, was still around because you know he was such a great leader, and Louis wishes he could be, you know, just as good a leader as his friend was. Wow. Wow, I don't know what to think about that. Yeah. It's like his his standards are not too high because poor Harold really didn't get to emerge as a great <laughs> leader by any means. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> he sort of every time he had an opportunity, he either screwed up or was sweating and thought he was <laughs> internally combusting and or punched a woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. His <laughs> his greatest move was you know back slapping Beth, Beth Neon. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, <laughs> we see good old Louie and he walks by a generator room. Uh, which has a very large sign saying, warning, high voltage. Now, I don't want wrestling fans to get confused. It's not high voltage from WCW. It's not the tag team. And old Robbie school- Rage and Kenny Chaos? <laughs> Sorry. They're oh. not in the book. But by God, they may be part of our uh, our moratory uh, our uh, search, search, our recruits. Yes, who knows? <laughs> uh, but anyway, he notices that the door is ajar. So he pops his head inside to inspect. And he's stunned to see that Robert, Mr. Marathon, has himself strapped to a bed and is getting blasted in the face <laughs> by a laser willingly. What? Who does this? <laughs> Robert, as we come to discover, is laser tattooing a large M for either now. I don't know if it's for marathon or moratorium on his face, but, uh, you know, I'll leave that up to the, to the listeners. But uh, Radian notes that Robert is taking this death commando thing a little too seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and boy, I don't, I don't know about you, but tattoos uh i've got i'm on two different minds with tattoos because you see some guys and they have like tattoos and they're extremely detailed and you know they have a couple things that you like they might have some gi joe stuff or something cool and then you got these ass hats that just have like barbed wire or mom tattooed on them or the name <laughs> of their girlfriend and the lettering is screwed up and it's just a disaster or you got a disney character that you know, the tattoo artist, maybe they had muscles in places that have become fat and all of a sudden Mickey's nose <laughs> is dragging to the ground. And I don't know. I, I'm not a tattoo guy myself. I don't, I don't know either. if I would ever, yeah. ever get one, but uh, maybe because I just don't have the nerve, number one. I'm not, uh, you know, not berating uh, tattoo people, but I don't know. As, as kids, I was always afraid of people like that. 
<laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why it always creeped me out. Now, you know, a lot of my friends have tattoos, and I, I don't give anyone grief over sure. tattoos or life decisions. But let me tell you something. If you've got something like a Michael Jackson tattoo, and I love Michael Jackson tattooed on yourself, or, uh, you know, something that's uh, not not super in with the times, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, bitch slapping on yourself or something like that, you know? <laughs> Maybe uh, maybe your tattoo was probably not well thought out in advance, you know what I mean? So, folks, if you are getting tattoos, make sure that you're not going to regret this particular tattoo in, you know, even two to 15 years because uh, these things come back to bite you. And don't get fat because these things stretch. That is, <laughs> they do. <laughs> that is one to grow on. Now, with, with Robert's tattoo, the large M that he's just burned into his face, and, and – Brent Anderson, he always has this one panel that sticks out to me, and this is the one. Yep. So after he's done getting the tattoo, he sort of turns over and he looks at Louie and just the glare oh, and, boy. you know, the, the steam is still coming off his face from uh, from getting the tattoo burned into his head. And, uh, I mean, he just looks like he is enraged. Mm-hmm. Man. And what, what a panel. I mean, holy oh, cow. Awesome. If you guys get this issue, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, we are again reminded they have exactly how many years left to live? Under one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I must have I must have missed an issue or ten, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Robert mentions that the only thing that matters is how many horde warriors that they can kill. There you go. And mm-hmm. as they walk away, Robert's wiping his face, you know, his laser burn face with a towel. As uh, good old Louie tries to convince Robert that maybe just maybe things can be different. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, from here, we get a sneak peek at Adept, and she, uh, as we know, is still isolated inside that room, busy analyzing Horty and Tech. And uh, she's really struggling to find some meaning here. Now, she worries for her friends on the outside, especially for Robert. You know, uh, that they, they've really connected over this past uh, several uh, months, or however long this uh, process has been in play. Um, it's a very nice little touch here that follows up on their, like, sort of kind of love story, sort of kind of, you know, uh, little sister, big brother story. Yeah. It's 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 really cool stuff. Uh, now, we jump back to Moratory HQ, where Pilar is checking her, comu- uh, her computer that she has conveniently set up to retrieve transmissions. And uh, one comes through, and uh, they see on the screen, Louis Armanetti, Radiant. He's speaking to someone who's out of view. Now, Pilar surmises that he's maybe using his powers to block the transmission from interception, which, uh, I mean, that's a little uh, that's a little sneaky in and of itself. Shade of so, a shade. Uh, I think so. Now, Get as it? they shade, light shade, lamp shade. shade yes. <laughs> I got a million of them. I'm here all night or at least an hour and a half. Yes. <laughs> Tip the veal. Try the waitress. Um, now, as they ponder what this could all be about. Wouldn't you know it? The horde alarm goes off. Radiant Radiant shows up begging for Adept to be released. And as this goes off here, like there's also like a PA system saying, ignore this, ignore this. This isn't a real, uh, this isn't a real alert. But he's like, no, no, it is a real alert. We got to go. And he's trying trying desperately to round up all the moratory. So that's what's happening here. 
Yes. Now, with the combination of toxins, poison powers, temporarily subduing the guards and our friend the douche boggling the minds of everyone with his scatterbrain powers, they again free Adept, our friend Jaylene here. Is this this is where he makes them all drunk, right? Yes, that's right. So they're all like stumbling over each other because <laughs> he, he remembers like the first time he had a bottle of vodka. And, uh, and since he can't aim his powers, and this is actually a neat little thing here. Everybody just feels drunk and they're stumbling and they're just like laughing and they can't get through the job, but they do. Uh, now, Pilar notes that she hates Will's powers. And uh, yes, Pilar, we all <laughs> we all hate Will and his powers. Indeed, we do. <laughs> now, the crew no doubt leaps into the moratory jet, of course, That's like they most. always do. Yep. They, they they didn't show it, though, which which baffles me. I, I, I want like giant leaping like you know yes. like Cirque the Cirque du Soleil type leaping into the air <laughs> to get to this jet but anyway uh Robert is inside with his brand new face tattoo waiting Jeez. impatiently listen if someone is uh waiting for you in the car and you turn around he's got like a giant M tattooed on his face listen you need to get it get your ass in that car and get going <laughs> especially if it's still smoking and steaming yes he awaits <laughs> the crew because he's excited they're going to kill some horde and he punched the coordinates in and they are off now toxin asked robert why the moratorium you know we're saying that this was not an alarm like it was repeated over and over this is yeah. not an alarm this is not an alarm now louis reveals he intercepted a transmission from a boat which was attacked by the horde now this boat contains harold aka viking their former leader um it's his parents yeah. So Toxin loses it on Louis, suggesting they intentionally had to disobey orders just to save two people, two <laughs> unrelated humans. Now, this sparks the ire of Jaylene. Now, of course, she's, you know, she has a connection with the original recruits and not so much with the we still got this division. You know, there's still two camps with the new yeah. recruits and the old recruits. So Jaylene rushes to Louis's defense or Guy Harding. I, you know, I don't know who she thinks he is, but <laughs> she screams how dare you Vince McMahon style <laughs> you know you may not have known Harold but we know him and yeah. we we owe him is what they say but on phase Toxin being you know that interim leader she suggests that not only will they be going you know headed in to save two people but they're not even going to have backup nope. that the literally the only bit of backup they're going to have is like this meager security force that's on board this boat <laughs> to take on the horde so you know who knows what they're walking in they're going into blind in this one but he knows she knows that they're just about to commit, you know, a court martial offense. Mm-hmm. Now, Toxin claims Jaylene, you know, she calms Jaylene down. She goes up to her, grabs her by the cheeks, and she breathes her toxins into her mouth, trying to relax her, which is a sort of weird power to distribute. You sort of got to get really close to the people to, unless you're showering people with gas, you know, you kind of got almost got to get lip level with people to, to get this thing to work. It's really weird. And wouldn't you not want to relax one of your one of your teammates right before you go into battle? Yes, it's exactly. like hey, f- go to bed, <laughs> take a nap. We'll I hope she doesn't. The horde get here. I hope she doesn't have halitosis. Is all I have to cool. say. <laughs> <laughs> I just had Caesar salad. <sighs> <laughs> gross anyway <laughs> the moratory pull the moratory ship pulls up along the cruise ship it's out in the middle of the ocean and a moratory recruits leap into battle so we do get to see a little bit of a leap we and do. of course the horde troopers are right there waiting for him and as they always are of course <laughs> the horde gets in some early offense though they bash big robert immediately they go for the big gun so you know they they got their thinking caps on and you know they send toxin and the douche flying in the air they toss those around like rag dolls unfortunately Robert has to get up. 
<laughs> Boy, mm-hmm. he unleashes holy hell on the horde, and he's putting them down left and right. And he instantly puts down the commander right away. And uh, he's on top of him, pounding away like a ground and pound you'd see in MMA. And uh, Louie, who's surprisingly untouched in this battle, by the way, you know, conveniently the horde don't touch Louie, but he orders Robert to stop the assault on the horde warrior, noting, stop. They need him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So Toxin questions Louie, and, uh, you know, he just explains that the reason why that they're holding this guy or not killing this horde member is that he knows where Harold Harold Everson's parents are held hostage. And mm-hmm. if they destroy him, they'll never find out. So, you know, we suddenly see Louie taking a bit of charge and giving orders. So he's he's got something in mind. Uh, you know, I, I clearly he's doing his setup for the plan that's about to be hatched here. So. Yeah. Uh, he orders Jaylene, uh, good old adept, to use her powers to find a comm station. Now, she notes she hasn't had time to analyze the ship yet. And Radian, you know, he sort of impatiently moves her aside and he takes control of a comm device. And he just yells into somebody outside. He said, hello there. All are on board as per agreement. Ready to deal? Hmm. What has happened here? Yeah, Paul Orndorff, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Orndorff. Paul <laughs> the Orndorf. swerve, bro. Um, <laughs> the swerve. Now, the jig is up here. Louis has seemingly sold his team down the river to the Horde by organizing them outside of headquarters on the ocean on a boat with no backup. So Son this, of a bitch. Is, yeah, this is not a good scene. Now, Pilar figures this out uh, instantly, and she just leaps, lunges at Radiant, noting that he's not making any deal with the Horde. He's, he's turning traitor, and she yells that she'll kill him. She calls yep. him... Oh, yeah, she is nuts. And she calls him an abomination as he struggles to explain that he's trying to help them. You know, he's trying to bargain for this for this maybe, maybe not cure to the moratory process, which will, uh, you know, say it with me, kill them <laughs> in, in one year. One year. <laughs> uh, Jaylene, his actual friend, tells him to go to hell <laughs> and paint brushes him with a well-placed well, well placed slap to the face. Yep, she gets the Andre the Giant paintbrush out and just mm-hmm. belts this guy. But anyway, meanwhile, this is where it goes off the rails. Our moratory are aboard a ship, and they're flying, they're literally aboard the ship, which is now flying into orbit, directly in line with the Horde Raiders, who have been sitting in wait above Earth. They're waiting for the ship to come into plan, because they have this big plan of capturing all the moratory or killing them all at once. So yep. they've actually fooled Louie as well into organizing all his team in one area so they have access to him. Mm-hmm. But someone presses the light speed button and suddenly, boom, the moratory are gone. <laughs> and the, uh, the horde attack has been foiled. Now, to the dismay, the horde knows that they've now been duped. But, you know, the Horde discusses this betrayal by their inside man, and Thundercrush notes the price for this act will be their heads. So a Horde intel officer notes that they have discovered Moratory Headquarters. So the Mountain Moratory Headquarters finally has been discovered. You know, just because it's under rock, they found it somehow. The officer Mm -hmm. notes that the Mountain Compound is much too big to be taken out with just a few nukes. Now, the commander has a solution for that. Where he says, that's okay. Launch all the nukes. Launch them all, he says. All of them. Mm -hmm. Holy ding dong. So the last scene we see is a shot of the Moratory Command Center. And we see an employee, and he's watching, you know, the video screen. And he sees the incoming projectiles. He sees the bombs coming his way. 
And then he suddenly realized that this is something that he has no chance of defending against. This is the ultimate endgame scenario. Complete nuclear annihilation. And the last panel we see, the entire panel goes white with just little etch lines to show the yep. uh, the compound indicating impact. And, of course, mm-hmm. next, birth grave. Man, what an ending to this one. Oh, yeah. No, this was uh, back back to form, you know, uh, after last week's uh, oh, wow. little hiccup. This is... Uh, this is the this is the moratory we we know and love and uh, I've been looking forward to. This is just this is just amazing stuff here. So if they got that upset that they dropped all of their nukes, which by the way, which also means that they're out of nukes now. True. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, uh, if they dropped it all just because one of their inside guys betrayed them, or or they thought that he they betrayed thought, them, he yeah. didn't. Yeah. I don't think uh, Louis actually betrayed him. I think that somebody hit the button and they just blasted the hell out of there. So. But uh, yeah, boy, what an ending! I I love this issue to be quite honest this with you. This is an awesome issue. Awesome. You get to see you get to see the crisis of conscience with Louis. He's uh, you know, he's battling, really struggling. Yeah, he's really struggling. He's ready to give up his own people to get the cure, or he doesn't really think he's giving them up. I guess he thinks that he's you know he he's just wants them. to. Yeah, he thinks he's saving everybody. So you know, the best villain, of course, is the one with. You know, a, a true agenda, and he has that true agenda. He actually thinks that he's doing good, and you know, those are the best villains—the villains that are convinced that their actions are good. And I think oh, Louis yeah. is—you know—you can't really blame him. You got one year to live. You're going to hold on to anything you can do. And then we see the transformation of Robert. He's getting more and more and more aggressive, and the the face tattoo is just that another symbol that he's taken another walk off the deep end with his mentality. I mean, this guy is just cracking. And oh, of course, yeah. we see. Pilar, who's really stepping up, or Scaredy Cat and Pilar, who are really stepping up as, you know, as leaders. I mean, yeah. not not the Gucci, but, you know, the, the Pilar's <laughs> – he, he actually had a lot of good comments in this one. Like, he was actually played a, a, a good role in this. Like, he actually – yeah, so more and more you get to see that these powers, which are unconventional, are actually useful. And now they I'm – did Beth Neon, was her – uh, was she in the moratory compound or was she in at an outside medical facility? <laughs> because, <laughs> a nearby medical facility. I, I yes. wonder if, because Talima is he he's not always at the command center, right? right. He uh, could be over at the graveyard in. property. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's at the uh, he's at the graveyard property. For all we know, Neon is there. Um, I hope so because other than that, she's literally creating daisies to push up with her powers. That's right. That's right. It's a uh, that 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 scene in of itself was pretty heartbreaking because it's uh, and it, it and it really puts a lot of things into uh, or it gives us a lot of clarity because in the lead up to this, though, before the reveal, they did it like brilliantly. They only had like Harold kind of sense that there was something going on with Beth. Absolutely. And and we could chalk that up to the fact that, you know, he was he was, you know, doing the dance with the process at that moment. He was about to die. So. For all we know, his powers were just acting weird. That might him seeing, you know, a clock over Beth's head might have been just a uh, byproduct of his failing health and his succumbing to the process. It might have been foreshadowing his death a few pages later. But here we find out that no, his powers were fine at the moment. He uh, he was right on. There there was and is a clock over Beth's head, and uh, and she's not long for this world. It looks like. 
boy, did they, <laughs> did they ever, boy, did the, I mean, the horde, uh, I'm getting a little bit confused with all these horde people. I mean, to keep introducing new leaders, new commanders from yeah. Thunder Crush to Hammersmith. I mean, you don't know who's who from time the to time, you know what I mean? wipe I mean, whoever we had last time. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, but I, but. I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's intentional. I mean, this has been, it's been forever since I've read this stuff, so I don't recall a lot of the, uh, a lot of the nuances here, but I wonder if that's, if that's intentional to give like a chaotic impression of the horde, like, like, are they always in upheaval? Do they not trust each other? Is it just like a race to the top for leadership and for stroke? Is that, is that what the horde's all about? Do they not even care about themselves that it's just dog eat dog? There's a lot of infighting and a lot of inbreeding and a lot of in everything with these guys. I don't know. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, one, one more thing. We, We've been seeing uh, Dr. Talima here, and he's never really been—he's uh, never really been depicted as like a, a sympathetic character. He's always like this, like cruel, cold, mad scientist. But here, in the face of Neon's mortality, like I, I think we get like a real human moment out of him here. He's like, yeah. if you if you go, I'm alone. You're gonna leave me alone. These people don't—the people above us don't care. It's just you and me against them. And if you're gone, I'm by myself and just he's, a desperation. I, I think other than that, he's left holding the bag because now he's got to take full accountability for killing all these young teens or sticking them with uh, moratory powers when, you know, Beth Neon, a.k.a. Chloe from Smallville, uh, was uh, was involved with this too. You know what I mean? She was yeah. there holding the bag. So I don't yeah, know. He, he loses his sounding board. He loses a confidant. He loses a partner. He loses a friend. It's a... Uh, it's pretty wild stuff here that uh, that really gave him like a, his first actual human moment here, and I thought that was uh, that was really well done. Uh, this, I, this whole issue was well done. I, I can't literally like I stopped myself from reading the next issue, and I just wanted to yeah. dive right into twelve, but I held back because I want to save my true emotions for the podcast. And man, this was a, this was a deadly episode, a deadly oh, issue. Yeah. Hopefully, it's a deadly episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, as always, we're not done. We, we've we've gone through the story, but we do have that wonderful back matter here. And uh, kicking it off as we always do, we'll jump right into the bullpen bulletins because there there was bullpen bulletins this time out. There was no letters page, but uh, it'll be a little while until we see another one of those. Um, <laughs> now, as always, the bullpen bulletins page starts with a quote of the month, and this one is. Mind your manners with him, because the last time he was here, he kidnapped the mansion. And that was said by Magic from New Mutants Annual Number 3. And yes, they misspelled kidnapped. That was like a Marvel <laughs> thing in the 80s. They, they, they would misprint Yeah, they would always put kidnapped. And I, I remember uh, I remember one of the issues of uh, like the Judgment War in X-Factor was called Kidnapped. And uh, Louise Simonson got a lot of flack for that, and she and she was like, I remember she kind of wrote it off, but it was uh, it was funny because like anytime you see kidnapped in like an 80s Marvel book, it's 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 usually spelled kidnapped, kidnapped, kidnapped yeah. even. So <laughs> it was kind of interesting. Um, now jumping into our news items here, and uh, there's some fun stuff here. <clears throat> we have uh, we we have the announcement that Marvel movies are on the way. 1987, <laughs> they're on the way, they're coming. Boy, are they ever coming! <laughs> now this is a further confirmation of Marvel's new ownership. They're under the uh, purview of New World Pictures at this point, and uh, since they make movies and they've got Marvel, why not Marvel movies? So they made the Punisher, which is up yes. and down, you know, depending on your point of view. Um, 
you know, probably the best one that they've done in their little early uh, 1980s version of the Marvel Universe. Because, I mean, if the, the 80s saw a Captain uh, America movie, which was a complete shit show. Oh, could not yeah. With stand motorcycle. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, no. The motorcycle one were 70s. So there were oh, two really? made for TV movies. Yeah. Uh, Death Too Soon and Captain America. So uh, they they were horrible. They had this gigantic <laughs> biker helmet mask with the Captain America wings and this blue visor. Uh, oh, the boy. suit itself was similar to the Captain America suit, but uh, <laughs> the 80s movies tried to keep it um, – Tried to keep it pretty close to the comic books. You know, they did the whole Nazi, you know, Captain America versus the Red Skull Nazi thing, but the budget mm-hmm. just was not there, and it was a poo-poo stinker. Now, the yes. Punisher had uh, He-Man himself, Mr. Dolph Lundgren, which was yes. uh, fairly close to the comics, but, you know, they, of course, they didn't have the budget either, and they didn't want to go full comic book mode, so, you know, they did they did stupid things like not putting the Punisher in his costume, which I yeah, always no thought. Yeah. Will you stop? Like, put the damn skull on something. Spray paint it. <laughs> find a way. Put the character in the suit. Stop backpedaling. And you know, it was it was just a lot of, you know, just like the comic book. You know, he uh, mob kills family. Punisher kills mob. And that's that was that's basically it. the movie. Yeah. So I'm okay <laughs> with that. Of course, I'm okay with that. Now this is an interesting little uh, little piece of the of the day here. We get we get these like really excited reports of Marvel appearing in pop culture, which. You know, in 2019, you can't you can't flip through the the TV stations without seeing something Marvel-ish on on one of the channels, be it a commercial or a show or a reference or something. But here they listed some pop culture appearances for Marvel Comics, uh, and of those, we have uh, on an episode of Perfect Strangers, Ooh. Bal- Balky Bartokamus, <laughs> yes. wore <laughs> he wore Spider-Man pajamas from Meepos. He must have got those from Meepos. From Mother Meepos. And, buddy, <laughs> listen, if I got Balky's uh, Spider-Man pajamas for Christmas, I'd be doing the Dance of Joy just like uh, Balky and Larry was in that one as well. Die, 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 die. die, die. die. <laughs> Love that show, man. You know oh, that's what's an funny? awesome show. Uh, Balky, what's his real name? What's Balky's Bronson Pinchot. Bronson Pinchot. What the hell happened to Bronson Pinchot? He was one of those guys that I think got typecast that he was so good in that role as Balky Bartokamus that he didn't really suit any of the other roles, like he was always balky to me, you know what he I mean? Always like some like a, a foreign. He was like uh, Andy Kaufman in a way, like where it's like just like the foreign character with the funny accent, and uh, yeah. and that would be like the whole joke. The whole joke is that he's a guy with an accent. <laughs> yeah, he was like the the Borat of the '80s. He was like he's just stuck in that role, you know what I mean? But man, Perfect Strangers. If you haven't seen it from the theme song right on down, it was oh, just your. It was your odd couple comedy, your sitcom, but man, that that thing was really, really good. I love oh, Belky and Larry back in the day. Cos and Larry. Cos and Larry. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. It was like the uh, – what was the other Russian comedian that was on the go back in the 80s? Yakov Shmirnov. Yes, America. What a country. <laughs> love it. <laughs> the two Russians we knew outside of Nikolai Volkov at the time, right? Because yes. I have an uncle who uh, who looks a lot like uh, like uh, what's his face uh, Yakov Shmirnov and uh, <laughs> Bad one of my and I had a friend come over and he's like he's like what's up with your uncle Yakov? <laughs> I looked at him I was like oh god he looks like Yakov Shmirnov but uh, oh, no, that that show was uh, that show was a lot of fun and it's I believe it's on Hulu right now. Um, hey, we and, don't get uh, Hulu in Canada, thank you. Oh, I apologize because Hulu is pretty that- great. Thanks for rubbing my nose in the carpet on that one, brother. <laughs> you got Smarties, we got Hulu. So uh, <laughs> fair game. It, 
I'd recommend all of it until like the last season because the last season is rough. Um, there is a cool bit where they, uh, I think Larry gets hit on the head and he has like a dream where they're playing Laurel and Hardy, putting together a gazebo in an episode. And that was really cool because, uh, Bronson Pinchot is a huge, uh, Laurel and Hardy guy. I, I think he even played Stan Laurel in, in, in some sort of a film or a play, but, uh, that, that, that's a lot of fun. That show, if you could check it out, definitely do so. Um, another show of the day was Kate and Allie and, uh, on Kate Love and Allie, that's a good show, too. Yeah. On that show, someone, quote unquote, someone was wearing a Thor T-shirt. <laughs> Boy, they were reaching, weren't they? Yeah, no doubt. It's I actually I have like a, a series of shows I'll watch because we're in December right now. And I'll watch uh, instead of watching like the Hallmark Christmas movies or even just regular Christmas movies, I'll watch uh, Christmas episodes of TV shows. That's kind of my routine around the holidays. And one of them is like the only Kate and Allie Christmas special where uh, like they play, they play like, I don't know if they, this is still a thing, uh, but Santa's helpers It's probably not because the internet's around. But uh, back in the day, people would take jobs as people who went shopping for people. You know, you would, uh, you would get someone's Christmas list. You would do the shopping, you'd wrap the gifts and you'd deliver the gifts and you'd get paid for it. And uh, the whole episode is them doing that. Uh, they're 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 playing Santa's helpers so they can afford to like take a ski trip. And I, and I actually just watched it like three days ago as of this recording. But uh, you know you don't get too many Kate and Allie references in real life. And in, in this week I I got two. So, I, I like that, that they say someone was wearing a Thor shirt because Thor really sticks out to me. So I'm a huge like Incredible Hulk fan. I loved all the Marvel TV shows, Nicholas Tam and Spider Man. You mm-hmm. know the Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby and Ferrigno. I mean those were I grew up on that stuff. Loved it, loved it, loved it. But one time my parents brought me to the big city of St. John's and they were bringing me out to see a particular movie. And of course the movie was either a babysitting. Yes. (laughs) Adventures in babysitting under duress, by the way, I'm like, I got to come to see adventures in babysitting. That sucks. (laughs) Anyway, from the opening tones, seeing uh, Elizabeth Jew dancing on her bed, singing to, um, well, he walked up to me and he asked me if he wanted to dance. I loved it. I was like, yeah, who's this chick? She's hot as balls. She was playing Chris Parker. But anyway, she was a babysitter and she was begrudgingly, uh, you know, she broke up with her boyfriend and she had to go babysitting. So she took this babysitting job and she was taking care of a three kids or two kids and their annoying friend, which they always have an annoying friend. They always do. But anyway, the little girl, Sarah, in this in the movie was a huge Thor fan. So she always wore, yeah, Yeah. she always wore the Thor helmet and also always had the hammer, which was also cool. But a little piece of trivia, Vincent, uh, D'Onofrio, D'Onofrio actually shows up in the, uh, in the show. And she is convinced that this guy is Thor and he plays it up to, I mean, this guy looks like Thor at one point. He's actually wearing the helmet and the whole thing. I mean, I was blown away by this and this was probably in the eighties. This was probably the biggest superhero reference and probably the most well done one. And of course, Vincent, Vincent went on a little bit later to carry on in his role, not as Thor, but as the kingpin a little bit later on. On the Netflix show. Yeah. Yes, man. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Loved it. No, that was awesome. Adventures in Babysitting, run and go see it. Oh, it's a lot of fun. That's a movie that I actually have seen. Um, Now we have an episode of of the uh, Cheers spinoff, The Tortellis, if you remember that. uh, I think Carla Carla married um, someone named Tortelli and they... They spun off this show called The Tortellis. I and, am uh, drawn a blank here. 
it's uh it's i'll, I'll send you uh, i i would like to send you a video but the last time i sent you a video the person in the video died so uh, oh, yes i we're gonna kill carla by sending this over we don't want to we, we don't want we don't want to kill Rhea perlman like we like <laughs> we, we lost uh what's his face oh well, danny aiello danny, we lost danny, danny aiello this week and uh right after we mentioned his uh papa just wants the best for you video so i, I just take my word for it the tortellis was a show and uh in this a child was wearing captain america underoos <laughs> you talk about nitpicking I was going to say, don't look that video up. You might be put on a watch list or something. I don't know. But uh, and then uh, do you remember Amazing Stories? I do. I actually okay. very much enjoyed Amazing Stories. So they were like a anthology series of yes. different different uh, stories. And they could go from sci-fi to high adventure to horror. From, yeah. Yeah, from Life every, horror. yeah. And these were really good. They're available on DVD right now. But uh I don't recall uh, particularly seeing the X-Factor poster in the background, but who knows? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, uh, Marvel was very proud to announce that in an episode of Amazing Stories, you could find an X-Factor poster and a copy of Iron Man number 211. <laughs> Weird. You talk about specific. I remember when I was – when I you know, when VHS was hot. I mean I rented mm-hmm. The Lost Boys. And, okay. Uh, and Corey Feldman and Corey Hamer in that movie. It's one of the Corey's movies. But anyway, one of the uh, the comic book collecting underground brothers, uh, there were comics fans. And, of course, there was comics everywhere. They went to a comic shop. And I specifically remember just rewinding the scene and just oh, seeing yeah. what comics are on the wall and what are in display and what they're holding. It was, yeah, I know it's weird, but it's only something that a comic That's book fan would understand. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was literally all we had. We're like, yes, they're like us. They're kids like us. Mm-hmm. When really they were, you know, isolated nerds. <laughs> Because I remember, uh, like, in, like, the middle of the Roseanne show, uh, one of the daughters got, like, really into, like, gothy stuff and uh, started decorating a room with, like, Vertigo posters. So, like, you'd have, like, a Sandman poster. And and I always thought that was cool, like, just to see that because you didn't see it anywhere. Comics were – you know, the, there was it was the the boom speculator market at the time, but it still wasn't like mainstream. It wasn't like accepted like it is today, where now it's just like there's too much. There's too yeah, many great. references now where it's like, oh, well, this guy's wearing a Captain America T-shirt. No, this one's wearing a Daredevil T-shirt. Now, back in the day, it was like we took what we could get. And uh, and, I, and I remember doing the same thing you did. Like if you if you thought you caught a comic book reference, you'd pause or you'd rewind. You'd have to rewatch the scene. To make sure you you saw exactly what it was because absolutely uh, yeah because that's that's really all we got. I always but, hated how people mishandled comics in TV shows too. <laughs> wrapped so, over yeah they always kind of rolled up and I'm yeah. like oh my god what are you doing to your comic? <laughs> there's no backing board. There's no little uh, no little paper towel on the lap before you put it down. Yes my god what is wrong with these savages? Yeah, they, they treat it like it's disposable entertainment, the monsters. Um, <laughs> we also learn uh, through the news items here that Willie, not Will, Willie Smith passes away. And uh, uh, not, not, no, not ready, set, let's go. Dance floor pro. Uh, no, never mind. No, no, not him. Not him. Not not getting him. jiggy not, with not, it. The, not the Fresh Prince. Uh, this is actually a fashion designer who was responsible for designing Mary Jane Watson's wedding gown. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away shortly before Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 21 hit the stands. Well, uh, I'm, he, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of comforted by that, because if we brought him up and he died, it would have felt really bad again. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, this is uh, yet another mention of the uh, the spider wedding. I mean, this thing is 
like this is all Marvel's about this year is this spider wedding. Um, now, uh, Mr. Smith would pass on April 16th, 1987. He was only 39 years old. Um, wow. not, not a good scene there. Um, that's our last news item, but we do jump into our profile. We had Shooter, we had DeFalco. Today and, we have Larry. Larry, the asshole Hammer. <laughs> How Larry about that shit? <laughs> no, he's the editor on Savage Sword of Conan, Conan, King Conan, The Nam, Mark Hazard, Colin, Merc, Semperfy, and Steel Town Rockers. So there's a theme there. Um, his past freelance credits include scripting Conan, Daredevil, Bizarre Adventures, and Star Wars. He also provided pencils for Iron Fist, Man-Thing, John Carter, Daredevil, Bizarre Adventures, Crazy, Moon Knight, G.I. Joe, and various others. His inking credits include stuff from Krusty Bunkers. And, uh, you know, Krusty okay. Bunkers, a, a silly name as it is, it's this, uh, it's that Neil Adams and Dick Giordano inking collective. Uh, we've mentioned them a few times on the treadmill. Uh, it's uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of notable names were part of the Krusty Bunkers. Uh, Larry Hammer's current freelance credits include G.I. Joe, G.I. Yes. Joe Special Missions, Wolfpack, and Oomphman. Uh, so yeah. G.I. So G. Joe, <laughs> listen, I'm telling you right now. So I know I just shot down Larry Hammer, but the first 50 <laughs> issues of G.I. Joe are, you know what, some of my favorite comics that I ever owned. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved and devoured as a kid G.I. Joe, a real American hero from Marvel. It has not mm-hmm. been touched since. At all, and I don't care what anyone in IDW does with your crappy-ass G.I. Joe bullshit you got going on over there, but but I'm telling you right now, that Marvel series, especially those first 50 issues, were everything that I ever wanted in a comic right there, so thank you, Larry Hammer. Now, special special missions, not so much, Wolfpack, Bag of Dicks, and Nth Man, I actually, you know, I, this, those are one of those dollar bin books that I pick up from it's time to time. It's definitely a dollar bin, yeah. I like I, it, though. I, I, I like it. You know, I, it's one of those that I grabbed because I found all of them in, in like yeah. a quarter bin. And I never read them yet, but uh, they're there. <laughs> they are, <laughs> they are in the other bad. room. I think he's called Nth Man, the ultimate man. Yeah, something like or the ultimate assassin or the ultimate something, the ultimate ninja, maybe? I don't know. Let me see. Uh, I'm going to look that up while you're, while you're okay. chatting. Okay. Well, I'm going to go through his hobbies here. Uh, Larry Hammer plays guitar in a band called K-Otix. So K-Otix. He also enjoys he also enjoys firing handguns, driving fast cars, building models, martial arts, and U-boats. So he's a, a manly man. Yeah, and uh, it's also Nth Man, the Ultimate Ninja. Carry on. The Ultimate Ninja, and I think there's one that's like the Nth Man uh, past World War Three or something like that. I think that's what it changes into at the very end, something like that. Okay. Now uh, the work that Larry is most proud of is the GI Joe. His pet peeves include. Now, I don't know if this is like an in-joke or if this is legit, um, but he lists his pan his pet, pet peeve as fanzine writers over the age of 15. What? Yeah, now, you and I are bloggers. I, I don't yes. I, I, I think this is like uh, one of those uh, we resemble that remark sort of situations. Well, um, you know what? <laughs> Kiss my ass, Larry Hammer. How about that? <laughs> he says, we have a quote here. He says, tell me, does a sane person who wants to write for adults choose comics as his or her medium give me a break <laughs> it's like okay dick what's yeah, exactly. going on here um man, his, man. His, his place of birth is new york city uh his greatest accomplishment outside of comic books is once he played a bad guy during an episode of mash oh no stereotype stereotype <laughs> no 
What did artist... he play, Chris? Why don't we break down and assume? <laughs> Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> we don't need to move. We don't need to dig deeper on that one. Uh, now, his oddest habit are all of his habits are odd. So, uh, okay. Um, now, if he was, if there was ever a movie made about his life, he'd like to be played by himself. Uh, yeah. Cute. Now, why did he get into comics? Well, because he didn't know how to do anything else. Uh, <laughs> people who knew him in high school thought he would die young, and uh, he is still alive. So there's he... always time. <laughs> <laughs> the last good book he read was *Flight of the Intruders*. Uh, are you familiar with *Flight of the Intruders*? Not at all. Okay. Nope. Uh, last good movie he seen was *Das Boot*. Which I think is that a uh, that's a submarine that, movie, right? That's a submarine movie okay. where uh, I think it's a German U boat goes down and the the crew is trapped underneath. It's subtitled to death, but it's a really good movie. I'll give him that. Okay. Now he lists a lot of influences here. So, uh, Big Breath, Wally Wood, Neil Adams, Ralph Reese, Borges, Donald Bartholomew, uh, Charles Dickens, Ed McBain, Bullwinkle Moose, Chuck McCann, Gahan Wilson, Harvey Kurtzman, Milt Caniff, Ryan Suki. Akutagawa and Carl Barks. So uh, I like Carl Barks. I do. Yeah, he lists a lot of people, but no Stan Lee. <laughs> well, true believer. <laughs> that's why you have to do that. Yeah, that's why you work at IDW now, Mafa. <laughs> now, the worst part of his job is lunch. Okay. Uh, oh. What he wants the world to know about him is as little as possible. <laughs> that works out. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to know anything else about this dude. Yeah, he's a. Uh, this one wasn't quite as fun as Jim Shooter and, and Tom DeFalco. <laughs> this was uh, not the best read here. He comes off as a little combative. I don't know if it's sarcastic, but I mean, you I can't think... really you can't read sarcasm. You From know? all intents and purposes, this guy's a bit of a douche in real life too. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that people who met Larry Hammer, please let us know. But anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about him, but uh, yeah, this this didn't leave me with a good taste in my mouth. But uh, speaking of good taste in my mouth, yeah, the Mighty Marvel checklist. Oh, here we go. I bet they got a great blurb for Strike Force Moratory. I mean, Strike Force Moratory. This is this might be the greatest issue of the book so far here. And, read it. Read, uh, it, read out the blurb. Ready? Here I go. Yep. Here we go. That's right. No blurb. No blurb. What? That is the uh, Strike Force Mortuary 11. Next. Man, they're going all out to sell this book. Right? Um, we do get a trio of, uh, of actual blurbs here for uh, the current uh, Spider story that starts in Web of Spider-Man number 31. The blurb reads, it begins here, a six-part epic that continues through all three Spider-Man titles. Each issue is written by J. Mark DiMatteis. Penciled by Mike Zeck and inked by Bob McCloud. And the villain of this Marvel masterpiece is hyphen hyphen Craven the Hunter. <laughs> the next one is Amazing Spider-Man number 293. Say, who is the villain of this epic confrontation anyway? Craven the Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> then Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number 131. The villain is... Craven, the hunter. <laughs> and the story continues in next month's Spider titles. Now, this is, of course, you know, Craven's Last Hunt, Deadly Symmetry, whatever you want to call it. Do you have I any memories it. of this? You did? Loved it. So oh, guess I... what? Mike Zek, number one. Mike Zek drawn hmm. Spider-Man and Mike Zek drawn oh, Craven the Hunter. Holy yeah. snap. This yeah, was amazing. 
this this is one of those story arcs where you go that man they're it, it's not going to get much better than this i mean they literally leave you with a cliffhanger thinking that he's actually killed spider-man killed him. yeah man so good and when he gets his comeuppance and you you see it's one of the first villains that commits suicide i mean this had it all chris this was amazing i recommend this storyline to anybody i wasn't a big fan of it <laughs> shut your mouth <laughs> I didn't read it when it came out. I read it probably ah, late '90s, probably. Uh, so a lot of the, you know, a lot of the beats were already ruined for me. Um, but uh, I, I find that a lot of the, a lot of the praise this one gets, it, it it's overrated to me. Uh, then again, I wasn't there for when it originally came out, so uh, I'm sure. I was glad that they they had a decent Spider-Man artist and not Bill Sienkiewicz drawing that mad <laughs> ward shit. <laughs> well, that's the next issue, I believe. <laughs> Bad dog board. Correct. Now, we also have a blurb for the Marvel Age Annual number three. And it says, you are just in time for the Fred Hembeck Show. Meet the Marvel superstars with Fred. See previews of what's coming up in their titles. And those pages were specially drawn by each hero's regular team. Wow. <laughs> I didn't add the Thanks. wow. The wow was there. The wow was there. Um, that wasn't me being sarcastic. Um, any thoughts on uh, on Mr. Hembeck? So, like Kirby, Ditko, and and Mr. Uh, I can't <laughs> Simonson. I did. I had no appreciation for Hembeck back in the day either. I was like, this guy can't draw. But guess what? I mean, yeah, you talk about style. Uh, Hembeck is is actually genius when you think about it. I, <laughs> I, I I really dig his style now. For some reason, I look back on Hembeck books and I just it just gives me a smile on my face. I don't know what it is. He's got this unique, extreme. I mean, intentionally cartoony style, of course. Oh yeah. You've yeah. got the little swirls Inbos. in your 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 knees, your knees yeah. and your elbows. Uh, you know, you got your classic Hembeck eyes and nose. Uh, he he does like these little characters of Marvel comics and do like parody skits and all that stuff. Yeah. And I recently saw some of his work um, with the new universe. I actually saw him do Kickers Inc. and Star Brand and all that stuff, and it just brought back the memories flooding back of me being a kid around the spinner rack. <laughs> anyway, I didn't like him back in the day. I, I dig the dude now. So yeah, that, there you go. That's it. Whenever I see a Hembeck book on the on on the stands or in the the dollar bin or whatever, I'll, I'll always grab it. But I really have like no appreciation for the work. <laughs> I know, uh, but I, but, but I, I know, know it's special. I know it's special, and I know yeah. it's it's like it's 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 uh you know it's it's earnest in what it does. And even though I don't really appreciate it, I don't really enjoy it. I always grab it if I see it, and I don't already have it. I always uh, I always pick it up. I, don't know what it is, but uh, I'm 100% with you on that, brother. Yeah, but that wraps up our bullpen bulletins, and uh, we do have a, a few ads here. A lot of the ads are getting repetitive, so we don't have too terribly many to uh, go through. But one I thought we uh, kind of had to. It uh, it features uh, oxy pads. Ooh, imagine having a zit. Heaven forbid. <laughs> and uh, this ad, you might remember it if you're uh, if you're a reader of the day. This uh, featured. Not riddles, but uh, ziddles, <laughs> where they'd ask you questions and they'd have little wordplay pun answers uh, regarding acne. <laughs> <laughs> Was Jim Shooter part of this process? <laughs> I no, bet you like... him and Brian Adams were the uh, <laughs> were, were the, uh, the guinea pigs for this particular <laughs> ad. So I, I got some questions for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Shoot. What do you call pimples so embarrassing that you want to leave the party? Oh, my God. What? I, I can't even imagine. 
exits. <laughs> and what do you call a pimple so big that it feels like it covers your entire face? Oh, my God. Uh, Jim Shooter. I don't know what. <laughs> a blimple. <laughs> this is gross stuff. This is this is the kind of stuff that would pass for uh, advertising back in the uh, the mid 1980s. Here, uh, it's funny because my wife and I enjoy Doctor Pimple Popper now, so I I just love seeing those things just being expressed. You've never seen Doctor Pimple Popper? It's an I've entire show where people with large boils, acne, and different cyst-related television. Yes. Okay. And they go in and they get their pimple squeezed, and it's a television show, and that's all it is. It's popping pimples, and it's so, very so satisfying. You, oh, so you see it happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not only do you see it happening, but the sum just gets stuck in there, so you got to oh. really, you really got to dig in and get that bugger out. Oh, it's great, Chris. You oh. don't even know. It's like an oh. orgasm watching the show. You're like, oh my oh. god, it's white. The head is white. Pop it, pop it. There you go. Yeah. I'm going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, watch it. I'm telling you. Tell your wife you want to watch Dr. Pimple Popper nope, tonight. Nope, Thank nope, me nope, later. Nope, oh, you're nope, going to nope, love nope. it. Nope. <laughs> you got to see the ass boil episode. That's a good one. Oh. Nope, nope, pop nope. that bugger. Oh. Uh, we, we also have a... Oh, we also have an ad for the Johnson Smith Company. Uh, we're going to go through this one quickly here. It's a, a page of gimmicks and practical jokes. Uh, you've all seen them before, but uh, we just want to pay special attention to the little box that offers the 88 cent super sale. So Bro, this is, I was all about this stuff. Man. Oh, this stuff oh, is fun. Run them down. Let's see what we got. We got a surprise package. You had one? <laughs> a $2.95 value, a surprise package. Uh, we also have disappearing ink. Had We've it too. Snapping gum. I snapped a number of fingers back in my day. We got a phony brick that you could throw at somebody's head. One would one would assume from the picture. Never had it. A hundred magnets. Mm. That's eh. not bad for eighty-eight cents. I mean, less than a penny a magnet. <laughs> wow. Um, a thousand and one insult book. So that's <laughs> that's not bad per insult. No. Uh, a whoopee cushion. Oh, of course. Our, our, that's a, a generational thing here in the Bailey family. All of our kids have gone through their whoopee cushion phase. Loved it. <laughs> you got the Hollywood blood capsule. Love you of got, course. Yeah, you got, this one always kind of mystified me. Smoke from fingertips. Hmm. I don't know how that works. Uh, you get the uh, the old classic hand shocker that never yes. really works the way you expect it It was to. like a, yeah, you get some of these people who are just there. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> this is the complete wrong effect. <laughs> now you get you get the uh, the the uh, what you would get in real life if I watched that program you just talked about. You get the you get the icky upset stomach mess. He's gonna puke. He's gonna. He's gonna. But uh, I don't know why they just couldn't put vomit, but they didn't. It's icky no. upset stomach mess. Uh, we got fake dog mess, so you nothing, can nothing is like fake dog poop for the <laughs> for the laughs, hundred percent. What if you put it in the icky upset stomach mess? <laughs> Double win. <laughs> then you get the noisy nose blower. Hmm, okay. Not, not familiar. Then we get some edibles. We get the hot pepper bubble gum, which I'm pretty sure people would chew unironically these days. <laughs> uh, you get the nasty candy. I don't know what nasty candy tastes like, and I'm not well, sure I well, want to. They, they have um, 
Do you guys get uh, it's a jelly bean, jelly belly? Yes. Do you get those? Of course. Okay. There's a there's a course there's a there's a little game. Uh, it's a jelly belly game. It comes in a little tray and has like a spinner. You spin and it. Of course. Yeah. yeah, but you can land on like the really crappy jelly beans, and they're like have like really really repulsive ones like. Uh, lawn grass and uh, vomit oh, wow. and just different. Oh, oh, it's really, really, really nasty stuff. And of course, my kids had them out on the table. And I'm a grazer, so anything that's on the table, leftovers, whatever. I'm. Yep. Oh yeah. And I swallowed down a handful, and they were like, "What am I eating?" Oh Horrible. wow. That, that that might be an on-the-air game. To uh, maybe maybe we'll get some of our recruits on, and we'll we'll have them spin the wheel and make oh. a deal. Oh, we got to we got to do this. This is so good. <laughs> now, continuing with our edibles, you also get the blue mouth candy, which I, I, again I think that's something people would take unironically these days. It just you know <laughs> turns your mouth blue, whatever. Yep. Uh, you also get the garlic bubble gum, which again people would probably chew unironically. Toxin and then uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. And then you go from the edibles to the uh, to the the carnivores here. You can get a Venus flytrap. Oh. Now, I always wanted a Venus flytrap after seeing Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, I did too. The only good part of that entire movie. Yep. <laughs> Man, like I love Rick Moranis. Anything with Rick Moranis. Sure, in it. I could great. not wait to see it. And then I discovered Little Shop of Horrors was a freaking musical. musical. Hated Suddenly it. Seymour. Ugh. Oh. Ugh. Oh, but, that uh, thing that thing flew out of my VCR. Like, to the <laughs> other end of the room. I was like, get away. I don't care if Rick Moranis is in it or not. This has to go. You didn't want to hear him singing about being from Skid Row? Oh, uh, my God. I just wanted to drop the elbow on that thing. <laughs> but I remember I, I did get a Venus flytrap once, and, and I, was, I was scared to touch it. I didn't go on to go near it. <laughs> <laughs> and our, our final ad is for the Drawing Comics Kit from Showcase Publications. And uh, they give us the line item here saying, Never before has such a complete comics drawing tool been designed for the serious comics artist. And it uh, comes with a little coupon you mail away. If you are anxious, you have to be anxious before you do this. If you're anxious to get started drawing your own comic books, you send them the coupon along with $39.95. And that's like a stack of money back then. That's, that's a, a spend. If, if you were to convert that into, into today's do- American dollars, that's $89.11. So you're sending 100 bucks you to this the- company. Do you notice that all of these like artistic companies and like these drawing schools and all that stuff, like they are way out of reach, man. I gotta say, you've gotta you gotta have some bank account ahead of you to get into one of these schools. Oh, I remember oh. once I just I just you know inquired about the Joe Kubert School of Art, and I'm thinking, oh, all right, oh forget about it is right. Yeah. Oh my oh, God, yeah. yeah. So you're gonna spend seventy thousand dollars? Well, it's not that much. I'm just I'm just embellishing here you're going to spend seventy thousand dollars to become a poor starving artist who smells like onions and living alone drawing <laughs> pages of static come on <laughs> but uh you know like these companies there's no there's no uh there's no checks and balances here you send them your 89 dollars and they can just disappear they can pull yeah. up stakes and take the tent to the next town you just yeah, don't absolutely. know but, but i mean what did you get for the 39.95 here like okay. literally yeah. So let's see here. You, you you go you send them the forty bucks in in nineteen eighty seven dollars here, and uh, from that you would hope to get a package with twenty pages of pre ruled comic paper, loose leaf, so paper, yes, uh, drawing pencils, so pencils, a ruler, 
a compass, pushpins, tracing paper, a lettering guide, one of those little Ames lettering guides that you can get for like two bucks. Oh, yes. Um, a drawing comics comic, so you get an original comic book. You Ooh. get an eraser. You get a uh, you get a, qu- a quintet of Dr. Martin's watercolors in cerulean blue, cadmium yellow, Nile green, purple, and vermilion. And that's we're, we're not making a Bob Ross joke here. Those are actually the <laughs> colors you get. Uh, so you get ten you know already drawn pages to test out your coloring skill. You get a little bottle of Higgins ink. You get a little bit of white out. You get a palette. You get art swabs. You get three brushes. And you get uh, a 30, 60, and 90 degree triangle. So you can draw <laughs> your straight edges. So you get about uh, a $5, $5 worth, value. $5, $5 stuff from the dollar shop right there. <laughs> yeah, for 40 oh, bucks. Man. For 90 bucks today. Dr. Uh, Martin it, watercolors. <laughs> Cadmium yellow, come on. <laughs> and no, no, uh, brown ochre or whatever. The, the <laughs> Nile green is the Nile River green. Am I missing something? I ain't getting in that. Jesus full, or no? <laughs> full of emeralds. It's just reflective. But, <laughs> this is just, uh, yeah, this is just insane. I, I mean, we just read an ad where you can buy things for eighty-eight cents, and now it's forty dollars for. Uh, Lord only knows, but I mean, can you imagine getting this Higgins ink and it's like dried out? Uh, I mean, ugh, what a mess. And, and do, I, I'm not, I'm not an artist. I, I you know, I, I've never considered myself a serious artist. But did people, do people color uh, comics pages with watercolors? <laughs> I'm sure an asshole like Sinkevich did. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I, I hope not. <laughs> Before we wrap up this ad here, there's a little superhero mascot on this ad here. We can see him. He's sort of like seductively bent over in a way where he's got he's got that particular ruler placed in the 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 very channel of his anus. It's it's very suggestive. It actually looks like the ruler is like flossing his butt. It seems like he's gliding down like. Just cleaning that baby out, like it's like it's like a bear kind of like rubbing itself against a tree, but uh, he's he's like flossing his butt with the ruler here, and it's uh, I love it. <laughs> it's it's got to be seen to be believed, and if uh if we remember, we'll uh we'll include this with uh with the uh, with the program tomorrow uh, when we when we upload this and release it for this moratory Monday, but uh I think that's uh, about all we've got. For this week, uh, we've uh, we've gone through the book, we've gone through the the back matter, and uh, we had a good time doing it. We hope you did too. Absolutely. As uh, do you want to uh, send it to some a uh, plugin? Well, I'm definitely going to plug because I'm going to do the grand reveal for uh, Super Blog Team Up right yes. here live because I haven't updated the group or nothing. So we're going to do it right here as we always do right here on uh, Moratory Mondays. So this January little bit after mid-January, uh, we are going to have Super Blog Team Up Chromium, which is going to mm-hmm. dip into the era of excess. So all of the gimmicks that you grew up loving, from Chromium covers to pre-bag to cards to variant cut, covers, yep. you name it, pogs, anything, coupons that you cut out and ruined your Harbinger number one and now it's worthless, <laughs> all those things we're going to talk about with Super Blog Team Up Chromium, and it happens in January. 
Love it. Looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Now, uh, where where can they find you on the uh, the Twitter machine? Well, good old Charlton Hero Chris Bailey can be found at Charlton underscore Hero on the Twitter machine. You can also find Retro Ramblings on uh, from me at Superhero Satellite. Just give it a Google. I don't want to go with the entire WordPress link that goes on for days and days and backslashes and hyphens and drop kicks and all that stuff. So <laughs> type, type in Superhero Satellite and find out all the stuff that you love growing up. Comic books, toys, movies, you name it. We talk about it. And, yeah, I'm actually going to update the blog with Superblog Team Up. Imagine that. Woo-hoo. You know, in, instead, instead of Chris, who does it daily, I feel that I blog yearly now because these guys keep me busy on the podcast. <laughs> but I swear, you away from your home, yes. As, as Mark Radlish says, I swears that I'm going to update the blog. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. And that's um, me, brother. Wonderful, wonderful. And you can find me at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. Also, of course, at chrisandreggie.com, where you'll find all of our show notes and uh, everything in chronological and listenable order. Uh, it's easy to find things there, I would assume. I, I don't think I've tried to find anything there in a while, but uh, I think you can find stuff, is, is, the, is the point I'm trying to make here, rather than the uh, regular Podbean feed, which is kind of all over the place. But you can find us on Podbean. You can also find us on iTunes and all the places where noise aggregates. But, uh, I think that's all we got for this week. Uh, we want to thank you so, so much for hanging out. We really, really, really appreciate your time and uh, and your feedback and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, till next time, we will, uh, we will talk to you again real soon. All right. Larry Hammock and kiss my ass. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>